Hola, hola. Welcome, everybody, to season three of the Chicago Techies podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago Techies and their experiences. This season, we will be hearing from seasoned entrepreneurs to rising stars making their mark. We'll dive into their triumphs, their challenges, and all the unique experiences that have shaped their journeys. I'm your host, Ceci Fisher Benitez. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Philip, for joining me on this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. It's great to have you. Um, can you please introduce yourself with your name, your title, your pronouns, and your current role? My name is Philip Fairweather. I'm president and CEO of Entrepreneurs Academy, and my pronouns are he, him, him and sir. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> um well, I did a lot of homework. I was looking over at Entrepreneurs Academy, and I was really impressed with everything you've done. I mean, it's, it's impressive that it, it's been a while. You, you started this program back in, in, in the 90s. Is that yes. right? Yes. Um, so can you share a little bit about the, your personal journey uh, there and what kind of led you to establish the Entrepreneurs Academy? Sure. So um, I started my first business when I was 28 years old. I actually invented a sports training product that builds speed, endurance, and vertical jump. I was a football player and uh, was scouted by the Jets and New Orleans Saints trying to go into the pros. And um, I didn't make it, but I developed this product to build my speed. Uh, during that time, I was a wide receiver. And uh, once I invented the product, I worked with USC and UCLA, the colleges out in Los Angeles when I lived out there. And uh, Jackie Jarner-Kersey was on my board of directors. We got it all throughout the NFL, the NBA, the National Hockey League, the Olympics. Mike Powell broke the world record in the long jump training in my products. And that world record still holds to this day from the early 1990s. And uh, I sold the company in 1996. And uh, a, a dear friend of mine had gone to HUD. He actually used to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. And he went to HUD and HUD sent him to Chicago as part of the federal transition team to take over the Chicago Housing Authority back in 95. And he asked me to come out and be his deputy. And I had no clue about anything governmental or public housing related or anything like that. When he said he wanted me to be his deputy, I was like, do I get a badge? He's like, no, bro, it's not that kind of deputy. <laughs> you know, it's not a police officer or anything like that. <laughs> and uh, so he was the director of economic development for the Chicago Housing Authority when the feds came in and took it from Mayor Daley. And he uh, asked me to be the director of resident enterprise. And my job was to take public housing residents, help them start their own businesses, and contract with city, state, and federal agencies as a welfare-to-work initiative. And uh, I had no clue what I was doing. All I did was put together a program that met all the needs that I had when I was trying to figure things out. Because my father, nobody in my family was an entrepreneur, so I couldn't get any help there. I got support but they couldn't help me figure things out. So um, I knew what I was missing after I had gone through that whole entrepreneurial experience. So I just said, okay, well, that was my journey. Let me just share that with some folks and maybe, you know, we can learn something. Well, in the three years that I was there, we started 143 businesses. We contracted over $78 million with public housing oh, residents wow. and we created almost 5,000 jobs. 
And uh, we won national awards under the Clinton administration two years in a row. So that's when I got bit by the social service bug and really took a deep dive into the plight of entrepreneurship and economic development for black and brown people um, living in underserved and underrepresented communities. So I really started taking it seriously after that. And, and uh, the Urban League courted me to bring the program over there once we gave the housing authority back to the city. And uh, so I brought it to the Urban League for three years. We started a, another 109 businesses. Uh, then the state of Illinois under DHS um, asked me to bring the program over there for the youth. And we ran teen reach programs in five cities around the state. Cairo, Savannah, East Aurora, Pembroke, and the south side of Chicago. Um, then <laughs> I got pulled back to the Chicago Housing Authority to run the Section 8 voucher program in uh, 2008 through 2010. And that was just not in my wheelhouse. That hadn't, there was nothing entrepreneurial about that, but yeah. it was addressing an issue that impacts entrepreneurship, which is housing. Yeah. You know, you don't have a place to live. You can't think about starting a business or going to school or even getting a job because you don't have an address. So um, once I left the housing authority, um, I, I needed a break from that. And uh, I, I left the workforce for four years to take care of my mother. She, uh, she lived to 94 and I took care of her the last 10 years of her life. But I left the workforce for four years to do full time senior care with her. Yeah. And because I had this entrepreneurial background, I knew how to side hustle and you had to, you know, how to make some money and, and keep the roof over the head and everything. Yeah. Plus I had royalties coming in from, from the product that I had invented um, because it, it was patented. And when I sold it, I collected royalties off the patent until the patent ran out in 2007. So um, I came back into the workforce and came over to Bethel New Life and resurrected my program. And, um, but as you can imagine, entrepreneurship is a, is a moving target. It's constantly evolving. When we first started this in 1996, we were just starting to use email. Mm -hmm. There were no websites yet. There were about, you know, 50 websites <laughs> in 96. <laughs> and so, um, by 2013, when I came back into the workforce, um, it, the, the entire landscape had completely changed. You know, we had cell phones now. We had, yeah. um, you know, the internet. We had all, all these new tools. I mean, you know, we were we were brushing on that stuff with the Teen Reach program and the Urban League and everything like that, but it hadn't evolved to the point where every business needs to have a website. Otherwise, you're not a legitimate business. Right. right? I can imagine. And Honestly, I guess I didn't do that well of my homework because I had no idea that you made a pro that you built a product and then and that you were also a pro player almost like oh my what? This week I just got uh, nominated for the United States Armed Forces in Europe Hall of Fame. Look, okay, I I'm talking to a celebrity here. I guess <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, that's I mean it's an incredible story. Like you said, you said so, share so much, and I was like over here, like oh my god, I wonder what his favorite football team is. Oh my god, I wonder what it, that whole story was like. You know, <laughs> I have, but I'm, but it, but because of time, I will just focus sure. on the on the entrepreneurial aspect. But 
I, I'm just a little bit in awe of, uh, of your story and your path and everything that you've kind of gone through in this. Uh, and I love that you were, you know, that you, that you called it the social service bug as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what inspired you to focus on supporting entrepreneurs in, the, in Chicago's west side, the south side and the south suburbs. Being a part of CHA's executive team, we were all over the city. We were from Cabrini Green to Otgel Gardens. We were at LeClaire Courts. We were, you know, at Robert Taylor Homes, Stateway Gardens, the whole of, you know, states. So, so I was all over the city. And and I don't, because I'm not a native Chicagoan, I'm, I'm born and raised in New York to Jamaican oh, wow. immigrants. Okay. And so I look at Chicago as one thing. People on the south side are like, I'm not going over the west side. West side people are like, I'm not going over the south side. Those people are crazy. You know, to me, it's one city. So I don't really look at it that way. But um, the grant that is funding us right now uh, through ICJA, the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority, um, they they wanted to target our three zones. And these are mm. uh, specific zones uh, that that are designated for this funding. And there were pockets on the West side where I had a ton of relationships. There were pockets on the South side where I live, where I have a ton of relationships Mm -hmm. and there were pockets in the South suburbs where I have a ton of relationships. So I said, well, this is going to be easy for me to bring stuff into those areas because I already have the relationships. So that's why I decided to target those areas. No, that makes sense. And honestly, there's a, these are definitely underserved communities that, you know, right now, if you look at the technological and entrepreneurial landscape, a lot of these programs are happening downtown. Uh, there is not a lot of resources being spread across the city. Can you share your perspective on like why empowering entrepreneurs in these communities is so crucial and, and how those unique challenges shape the approach of and the impact of your programs? Sure. To me, as a people, we have a lot of challenges, Um, economic challenges, um, social challenges, domestic violence, drug addiction. There's so many issues that we have and you can't service them all. And so I know what I'm good at. and I know what I'm not good at. And I also know that I'm a very emotional person. And if I were to be dealing with drug addiction or domestic violence or teenage pregnancies, I would be carrying that home with me emotionally Mm. and psychologically. Entrepreneurship to me can solve all of those problems, right? When you start making money and you start being able to control where you go to school, where you live, where your kids go to school, what type of technology you can have in your house because you are economically empowered, it changes everything. You know, most of my students are only trying to increase their household income by twenty-five dollars to $50,000 a year. If you have a household income of $50,000 a year and you can go to $100,000 a year, that changes everything. You can get a vehicle to now get to those jobs that are out in the suburbs that doesn't have the, the last mile transportation. Right. A lot of the jobs for manufacturing and skilled labor and things like that are out there. But the public transportation falls short by a mile, two miles, three miles. So people that don't have vehicles can't get to those jobs. So they're they're automatically eliminated. 
But if you could get a vehicle, you now you don't have to worry about that anymore. And now you can go ahead and get into a career that's going to benefit you because you're not going to be doing a whole bunch of manufacturing, you know, inside the city limits of Chicago. The, the tax base is too high for the manufacturers to be here. So they go out to the areas where they can get the best tax breaks and they're generally outside of the city. So, so, so part of um, the question that you asked is, is our approach to the entrepreneur. Um, we teach our programs a little bit differently. This very curriculum that I teach to our students in these impoverished communities is the same curriculum that I use for MBA students at Dominican University, but we teach it a little bit differently. For example, we use real world situations. We had one uh, entrepreneur who had purchased a subway franchise and had it over on the West side. And he came to me and he said, you know, I'm going to have to give up this franchise because I got too much drug activity out in front. There's a lot of violence in the neighborhood. And now they're starting to use the train tracker to rob me and jump on the train. So all of my instructors have to be from the street and have their master's degree, right? Because my father always taught me, if you're academic smart, that's great. If you're street smart, that's great. But if you have both, Nobody's going to be able to touch you, right? Mm -hmm. So so I advised this person. I said, do you know who the leader is of, you know, the, the gang that's out in front of your shop all the time? He says, yeah, he comes in and puts his pistol on the table and does dr drug transactions right in my store. He goes, I'm afraid to even talk to him. I said, buy him lunch one day and tell him you want to talk to him alone and have him clear his boys out from the area so you could have a conversation with him and ask him, is there somebody in his family that he loves and cares for? That needs a job. And the brother did have somebody. It was his his niece. She was trying to go to co cosmetology school. He didn't want her in the game. And he was protecting her. And so once the guy gave her a job, all the drug transactions stopped in the store and they started protecting the place. That's not the kind of education or information that you're going to get at a university. Yeah. You know, you, you have to understand what the challenges are in the community. Entrepreneurs of color are four times more likely to commit suicide than average entrepreneurs because they're dealing with things that are completely different than every other entrepreneur. They got gangbangers and drug dealers hanging out in front of the shop. Then, and they're worried every day about violence erupting in the store because you sold somebody the wrong flavored blunt. Uh, they got to lock them, themselves behind two inches of bulletproof glass just to sell a chicken sandwich and fries for 12 hours a day. That's practically incarceration, mm -hmm. right? Then if you're trying to hire from within the community, because that's what a lot of entrepreneurs are trying to do, they're opening up shop here because it's their neighborhood. They want to impact and they want to hire from and create jobs within that community. Well, when you're hiring from within in that community, you're hiring people that are going through the same challenges as you are. What if you got a young lady that you hired and is coming in every couple of weeks with bruises because she's in a domestic violence situation? 
you can't just look the other way. You need to, as a community leader, be able to address that issue and possibly try to get her some help or get her some counseling or something like that. And so we talk about these types of things in the classroom that as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to deal with that all the other entrepreneurs don't have to deal with out there. So it's really about taking control of your community and having my instructors have a deep understanding of what the challenges are so that we can talk in real talk to our entrepreneurs so that they understand that that we know what they're going through for real. And that's one of the reasons I think our program is super successful. The other thing is we incorporate mental health into all of our curriculum as well because of those issues that I, I just talked about. And, you know, we don't go into paranoid schizophrenia or anything like that in the class, but we do talk about things like um, breaking bad habits, uh, procrastination, entrepreneurial depression, um, fight or flight, you know, things that are normal, everyday things that we have to deal with as human beings, not even necessarily, you know, in these impoverished neighborhoods, but just as human beings. And because we are so anti-mental health, we're just trying to break down the stigma. And as we've noticed that by the fifth or sixth week, people start saying, you know what, I'd like to talk to somebody because you're right, I, I, I can't, I shouldn't avoid this. I, I do have these challenges. And so we have collaborative partners that we can refer them to for mental health services. And if they don't have the insurance to cover it, then we'll pay for it for them. That's incredible. I think, I mean, it's it's definitely important to prepare their mindsets. You know, they have to be aware of their behaviors and their actions to in order to be able to make healthy decisions, you know, that can potentially impact their future. You answered like three different questions that I had in that whole in that whole segment. So I'm going to I'm going to just mention a say, you know, that the impact of Entrepreneurs Academy like is not just like is that immediate. You know, it's also sustainable, a sustainable force that kind of that can ripple through communities with everything you just shared. I can already see how that changes the neighborhood. Um I think it's creating a foundation for long-term growth is exactly what you're doing. I, I want to talk about that community impact. You, you know, you work with various organizations and communities, you know, for a number of years now. What's a success story or, or a particular impactful moment that stands out from your years of experience that you've witnessed? So I have two stories. One of them was all the way back in the day at CHA, and this is what really kind of made me change my view about this population and what I could pot potentially do for them. Um, this one guy came to my class. He had just gotten out of the joint for 10 years, and he was a pimp. He couldn't read and he couldn't write, but he brought one of his girls to class to do all the note-taking for him. I, I learned two things from the situation. First of all, don't judge anybody because I never thought he was going to be successful. <laughs> I never thought he was going to, but he stayed at it for two years and we helped him get a contract uh, for a car. He, uh, he just wanted to start a car wash. Right. Okay. And uh, it was when CHA still had a police force and there were 300 police cars that needed to be washed twice a week. And we got him that contract. That was over a $200,000 a year contract for him just to wash cars. So that, that, that to me just said, you know, give people a chance. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that they come to the table and can't read or can't write. If they have the drive and the ambition and the smarts enough to get somebody to help them, 
you know, then, then be part of that solution for them. So that, that's one story. The second story is much more recent. Um, our first semester uh, under this grant was last year, and we had seven students. One of them died during the semester. Oof. Right. And the class was pretty shaken up about it because she was just this, this ball of energy and amazing light. And uh, she had all these health issues that we didn't know about. She walked out of the classroom right after we took pictures, class pictures and stuff. And in 10 days, she was dead. So I wanted to give her family an honorary certificate of completion at the graduation and honor her. Well, the husband was still too shaken up. The kids were still too shaken up. They said, we're going to send our cousin over there um, to accept it at the graduation. Well, the cousin showed up with her daughter and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and smiling. The cousin was one of my former students from 2013, right? And I always tell my students, if you have childcare issues, bring your child to class, keep them under control. Don't have them disrupt the class, but I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity because you don't have somebody to watch your kid, mm-hmm. right? The, the daughter that was with her to accept the honorary certificate was 12 years old when she was coming to my class back in 2013. And she's the one who accepted the certificate. And when she was up at the podium and accepted the certificate, she turned around to me with tears in her eyes and said, Mr. Fairweather, I know that you thought I was just, you know, playing on my video games in class and everything, but I was listening to you and I just used my mom's binder from your class in 2013. And I just opened up my first nail salon last week and I'm 21. Wow. That's when I realized it's generational impact. And, and that was my absolute intent when I said, bring your kids to class. Because I noticed eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, they would ask questions that the adults were afraid to ask because they didn't want to look stupid. Kids don't care. They'll just ask a question if it doesn't make sense to them. And if it doesn't make sense to an eight-year-old, then it's it might not make sense to an adult, <laughs> right? So, so that taught me a lot about uh, the impact that we are having because you put it out there, put it out there, put it out there. It's, it's going to start to, I mean, every seed you plant doesn't grow. But the ones that do grow, you can produce a, a huge field of fertile crops, you know. And and when I saw that, that just that just warmed everything in my heart. Yeah, and I mean, kudos to you. I mean, by allowing kids into the class, basically just to tell people, like, don't if that if childcare is the only barrier, bring them. That's that's what a powerful breaking down a barrier story and and providing you know this opportunity for them as well, even if you weren't aware of it, that's a huge tool for social economic uplift up like fulfillment right. uh, and uplift. You know, they there she just started a business from right. her, from your notes. That's incredible. Yeah. Um and that's I mean that's kind of answers the, the question that I would that I was gonna ask. You know, how do you measure the success of your programs beyond the numbers? I mean I think that's a powerful story right there. Um but I am curious if there are any like qualitative aspects that, or any personal stories that resonate with you, whether it's because of success of a business or anything along along those lines. Sure. So um, one of my uh, students, 
probably back in 2013, 2014, um, uh, was a name, uh, a woman by the name of Elizabeth Anderson. And she's a chef, chef, uh, not Elizabeth Anderson, Maria Anderson. Um, Elizabeth Anderson is another one of my students, <laughs> but Maria Anderson, uh, she's a chef, chef Maria. And uh, she was trying to, you know, figure out how to turn her love for cooking into a business. And I started this technology program uh, where we were working with uh, University of Illinois, Chicago, and their tech transfer department. Most inventions come from universities, all the research that's done. Uh, there are over 250 high-level research universities in this country, and each one of them puts out about 200 new inventions each year, right? But they don't have the capacity to get that stuff out to the general public to transfer it to practical use. That's why it's called tech transfer, because, you know, it's an invention, but until it's transferred into practical use, it's still just an invention. And these inventions can be algorithms, they can be processes, they can be uh, microchips, they can be mechanics, they can be robotics, they can be um, uh, Bluetooth enabled. I mean, uh, my alma mater, the University of Illinois Urbana, they invented the MRI machine, they invented the LED, they're heavy in manufacturing for Caterpillar and insurance companies, even insurance processes are considered inventions. So, so I said, you know, we have a lot of tinkerers in our community. I bet you if we shook the tree, we could find inventors that could pull down some of these technologies. And Maria, a chef, she took my tech class also. And we went there and we found out that I think it was the University of, of Ohio um, created a new food pyramid. You know how we have proteins, yeah. fats, and everything like that? Well, there's a new food pyramid that has only foods with medicinal properties. And so she's like, ooh, I could use that in my cooking, right? I could use that as an educational component for my cooking. And I'm like, yeah, you can. It cost her $500 to get that, and she had access to that exclusively. And then the hospitals started talking to her about doing these cooking and educational videos based off of that food pyramid to put on the video screens in their waiting rooms. So, you know, when you're sitting waiting in a, in a waiting room, they have all of these videos going on on the screens and everything. Well, they asked her to do that. So that was a contract for her. And then I hired her as our culinary arts instructor. I, I'm, I'm really big on hiring our students to do stuff. The woman I said a little while ago, Elizabeth Anderson, yeah. she was a student. She's our videographer. Um, Maria runs our culinary arts program. We got a, a brother who runs our yoga program that did 25 years in the joint that came uh, through our program. So I'm always about, okay, if, I, if I'm teaching you how to be an entrepreneur, but I can't hire you, then I really don't believe in my own work, right? <laughs> right. So... So Maria uh, went from being a chef, from doing these workshops, uh, to working in the hospitals, to developing a kids cooking program. And last week, she just won her second Emmy. Wow. That's wild. That's, 
that's the impact that's beyond the numbers, right? Yeah. You, you, it, it, it is so, and, and that's always been the challenge with a lot of the grants is they want to be able to, um, you know, talk about things that are qualitative, like, are you more uh, inclined to seek mental health? Are you more inclined to try to start a second or third business? Are you more confident in in stepping out and taking risks? Are you and and these are the things that we try to capture in our pre and post surveys to see how people are feeling about things because a lot of success comes from how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. How confident do you feel risking failure? And entrepreneurship is all about failure and learning, failure and learning. There, it, it, It's like, and, and we preach this in the class, there is no fair, failure, there's only learning. There's only learning. Right. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm just really impressed with everything that you're working on. I think your commitment to this community development and, and economic empowerment is, is truly commendable. I think beyond numbers, you know, the Academy is proving to be providing, is proving to provide like a lasting impact on individuals and, and communities. And that's a huge testament to the genuine care embedded in your mission. That's great work. Thank you for Thank you. everything that you do. Um, you, you know, you mentioned that you yourself partner with a lot of your, these same organizations that are, that are coming out of your programs. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. can you speak to the importance of these partnerships, you know, in achieving your mission and how do you choose to, to work with them? So I think it's important for new students to see people that look like them doing real work and supporting their effort in the community. We always talk about building this ecosystem towards Black Wall Street and, you know, stop with the petty backbiting that always runs rampant in our communities, you know, stop with the, uh, you know, hater aid, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, um, and, and look and see people that look just like you, that don't have any more education than you, that have come from very similar circumstances as you, be successful. Now, when it comes to partnering with um, our students, it's always about helping them get to the next level, right? When we partner with other organizations, um, like the ones that you talked about downtown, mm-hmm. they don't really want to come out to us. They, they won't come into our neighborhoods. They'll say, yeah, we want to help. We want to help. but We don't want to go there. You know, so so we try to use technology through video conferencing, through, um, you know, putting together uh, different workshops and things like that to tap on the knowledge and the relationships that they have that we don't have and and bring them, bring it into the community. I I tell them now, you, you don't have to come down here. We don't need you to come down here. We just need your knowledge, your information and your relationships. Mm-hmm. That's it. So it's a much different dynamic uh, with those types of organizations um, than the organizations that we grow ourselves. Do do any of these organizations help support and fund the programs or is it just those partnerships? It's, it's mainly the partnerships. I mean, we've, 
you know, we've got relationships with banks that won't come up off a dime, right? But they'll come to class and they'll teach financial literacy, mm-hmm. right? They're hoping to get uh, businesses to open up uh, bank accounts, yeah. you know, but they don't want to come up off the dime, even though there are, are community reinvestment dollars out there that they have to put out there. They keep putting them in the places where, you know, they want to put them. Now, ICJA, the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority, um, they are really trying to do something a little bit different. They're they're trying to put that money in places where it's going to do the most benefit. And a lot of this money is uh, weed tax money. So we're telling everybody, toke up <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, uh, all, all it you know, all these decades and decades, you know, we've been incarcerated over, you know, marijuana stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the the reentry laws are just horrific. Give you a perfect example. One of our partners is a group called Reform Alliance. And they were started because this this brother who was a rapper, but not a gangster, just a kid creating an image of a gangster, which is what a lot of them do. Um, You know, he's flashing his gun and he got a gun charge. They gave him four years. Right. But because he was, he was like, dude, I'm not even a gangster. I'm just, I'm just a, an actor (laughs) who does music. And, you know, and now, uh, now it's like, okay, well, you're getting a sense of the real life now. Right. Now, now you're, (laughs) you're, you're living what you rap. And, um, he got out on good behavior for two years uh, after two years. And he's like, I'm going back into the studio. I'm never going to the joint again, blah, blah, blah. And he does a music video where he does a wheelie on a dirt bike in the street. Probation got a hold of it. That's a probation violation. They threw him back in jail for two years. Oh my God. For doing a wheelie on a dirt bike. Right. Reform Alliance was created after that. And they said, no, these laws are ridiculous. It's just a way to keep throwing black and brown people back behind bars, you know, keeping up with the new slavery and, and all that. And they, they got laws changed, legislation passed in 16 states in the last three years um, as it relates to reentry laws. For example, if you're in for a financial crime or, or you were convicted of a financial crime, why are they drug testing you? Drugs had nothing to do with your crime. Now, they should be checking your bank accounts and how you're managing money. Sure, I get that. But they they put all these other restrictions on you so that you have to walk in this narrow space. And if you step out, we got you. It's, it's more set up mm-hmm. to catch you again, you know, doing something that has nothing to do with your original crime. So, so this was one of the reasons that we are partnering with reentry organizations and stuff like that to give the brothers and sisters an opportunity to realize there's two ways to earn a living, work for yourself or work for somebody else. And a lot of these, these, these kids, they got, they have entrepreneurial skills already. If you were a drug yep. dealer, you know, pricing, you know, packaging, yep. <laughs> you know, supply and demand, you know, your finances, they know how to count for sure. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys that run numbers never write anything down. They can remember that stuff in their head, you know? So we, we help them understand you have a certain skill set already that is an advantage over everybody else. 
So come on over here and let's talk about, you know, what you could possibly do for a living. And the things that we try to expose them to, like drone piloting, urban farming, urban farming does good for the community and it's therapeutic, right? You don't have a boss. You don't have a boss over your head. I do want to ask you about both of those programs, but first, to your own point, entrepreneurship changes people's lives, yeah. and especially it's even it's impactful when you're when when you're you know providing these reentry programs that can literally change someone's lives. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about those the those programs that you have the drone one and mm-hmm. uh, and what was the other one? Urban farming. Yeah, can you can you talk to me about both of those programs? Sure. So. So the drone program, um, we, we've got a couple of tech programs. We've got 3D printing, um, uh, vinyl cutting. We've got drones. We've got urban farming. And then the the more physical stuff like yoga and culinary arts, things like that. But the urban farming was giving people an opportunity to um, fertilize the food deserts in various communities because we got food deserts on the west side we got them on the south side and we have them definitely down in harvey and so um we just applied for a grant from the usda to get a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar state-of-the-art shipping container placed on the property across the street from the harvey public library that grows three acres of food every six months and it will teach people about healthier eating. Uh, it'll provide fresh produce for people. People that are on link, they don't get a whole lot of fresh produce in their diet because they spend all their money on their food at the beginning of the month. So, so urban farming gives people an opportunity to take control of their community and it's therapeutic. You're working with your hands, you know, you're, you're eating what, you know, the, the, the fruits of your labor, you, you know, it's literally the fruits of your labor, right? The drone program, um, drones, you can do so many other things with that, you know, just drone photography. That's where we started because that's a creative thing. And, you know, we as a people are some of the most creative people on the planet. So to be able to film your city and the food deserts from the air, you know, to be able to film a wedding or a concert or a sporting event or a festival from the air, you can get paid. The drone industry is going to be huge. It's huge right now, but it's going to be around forever, right? Right now you can get into search and rescue. You could get into housing inspections. You can, we're working with uh, uh, Cook County Assessor's Office right now to develop a social enterprise through Entrepreneurs Academy. And as we are training drone pilots, the best ones will give them the opportunity to do housing inspections for Cook County. So when we first started uh, speaking to uh, Assessor Fitzkagey, he said the challenge is we can't get everybody in Illinois to sign off on a waiver to use a drone over their house to do inspections because of privacy laws and everything like that. And, you know, People don't want you finding their illegal dog fighting pits and <laughs> marijuana fields and <laughs> chop shops and stuff like that. So um, I said, well, what about the reassessments? Because people get assessments, they don't like what it is, and they'll call up and say, hey, we want, I want my house to be reassessed. Yes. He goes, and that's an idea. 
Because if they're requesting that, now we can say, okay, we'll do a reassessment, but you need to sign this waiver that we can use drones for the safety of our inspectors. So we can get the, the roof, the chimney, the gutters, all that, that stuff without putting our inspectors at risk, and we can do a more thorough inspection for you. So they're working on changing that policy right now. And then I said, so about how many um, reinspections do you request do you get every year? He said about 50,000. Oh, wow. Okay. So drone pilots uh, average about $200 an hour, a minimum of $400, uh, four hours per, per job site. Whether you're going out to do a construction inspection, whether you're going to do an inspection to put solar panels on a house, whether you're doing an inspection for the city. So there's huge, huge opportunity there. And, you know, our people just don't know about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so those are the doors that we're trying to open. So I'm trying not to go all tech or, you know, all urban farming Entrepreneurship covers everything. If you want to open a thrift store, if you want to open a child care center, if you want to, you know, sell crafts, if you want to, you know, do a part time website, a Shopify site or anything like that. We we got your back on all that. But if you want to get into a specific industry and we just happen to choose urban farming and drone piloting as our our two uh, verticals, uh, then then they can do that, too. And the fact is. There's only four of us at Entrepreneurs Academy that are doing all this. There's only four small of us. team. Yeah, small team. So we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. Um, my staff is always telling me, but I'm choking on what we got right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but um, it, we we just have an amazing team of people that are super committed that have done this work before, um, and we're trying to get to the point where we can uh, do everything in Spanish as well. So we just hired our first. Uh, uh, bilingual drone instructors and uh, we don't have anybody on urban farming yet but uh, two of our staff is bilingual two of our staff is not and I'm one of them (laughs) that's (laughs) well I that's amazing I I imagine that over the years you have observed a a lot of different trends in entrepreneurship you know and Mm -hmm. uh, especially in the communities that you serve so are there any particular businesses that like trends that you often see from, you know, that stand out? I haven't really, you know, over all these years. Um, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I see many of the same businesses over and over again because um, our people look at a business that was a hobby for them. And because we're so closed off from so many hobbies, right, it's usually cooking or childcare or senior care or, um, you know, just selling T-shirts, um, the, the stuff that you see on the streets in the communities, which is why I said, okay, the only way Entrepreneurs Academy is going to break that trend is offer up something else. Yeah. And that's why we brought in the urban farming and the and and we showed them how, okay, well, if you want to have a restaurant, if you know how to do urban farming, you can now provide fresh produce um, in your in your food that will make that will give you a better value proposition than the church's chicken right next door. And drones will now not only give you an opportunity to 
bring something into the neighborhood. So, for example, uh, we work with the Austin Chamber and we've told them uh, any of your businesses in the chamber that want free drone footage for their uh, website or whatever, we'll bring our students out so the students can practice with flight time. And then that business gets free drone footage. So, well, I mean, there's just all types of opportunities and that's, that's how we try to bring them in. But again, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew and bring yeah. in too much as we, we have to build our capacity at the same rate that we build our programs. Cause we see a ton of opportunity out there. I hear that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs out there that are often, you know, that are going to be seeking your services and, and, uh, for individuals thinking about starting their own businesses right now, you know, what, what key piece of advice can you share based on your years of experience? Do not spend a single dollar until you take a class mm-hmm. because I have so many, and, and I say this because that's kind of what I did is you jump in, you try a couple of things, you realize you don't know what you're doing. And then you go, you know what? I should probably take a class. You know, a lot of people have incorporated, they've got their business cards, they've got this, and they don't have any clue on how they're going to sell their product. They haven't figured out their marketing plan yet. They haven't figured out how much money they need to make to break even yet. They don't have any relationships. They haven't figured out who their key partners are. They're going to try to do it out of their kitchen, you know, and there are other ways to do it with shared kitchens and things like that. So I would say go and take a at least a 12-week course. And there's free stuff out there through the Urban League, through us, through the, the small women's, uh, the women's small business development centers. Uh, they're called WBDCs. I mean, there's a lot of places. You can go to YouTube yeah. right, and find all kinds of information. Um, I would say always... So Abraham Lincoln used to say, if it takes me six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend four hours sharpening my axe. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to do. Spend most of your time in the beginning is figuring it out. And in the very first class, every every semester, we always say the best thing you can find out from this class is that you are not meant to be an entrepreneur because it, it is not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. It will be the most challenging thing you've ever done next to raising your kids. So that would be my number one advice is, is go get the education and the information first. Yeah, I appreciate that truth because it is true. Um, your work truly extends beyond business development. I think it's it's really helping build communities and foster resilience. You know, you're creating lasting positive change across this community. So for anyone interested in, in working with you or supporting your work, how can people connect with you and support. So just go to the website, www.entrepreneurs with an S entrepreneursacademy.net. That's where you can find all the information. If you want to reach out to me directly, um, it's Philip with one L P H I L I P at entrepreneursacademy.net. And I'll make sure to include this also in the show notes, but Thank you for the advice that you shared with us. I mean, I think these lessons learned from your experiences are definitely going to resonate with many people. Um, I personally, I think your insights and your dedication to fostering this thriving, you know, entrepreneurial ecosystem is, is 
truly commendable, especially by empowering entrepreneurs to, you know, serve their own underserved communities. I think your leadership is is guiding a light for those who aspire to make positive change. So thank you for your work. Uh, it's it's truly transformative. Um, I, I appreciate you. I you know quick quick story. I I ran. Um, I met Evelyn and and came across your your entrepreneurship academy at the at the Puerto Rican Fest. I just I was just walking to the dollar store to grab something, <laughs> and I and that that name just caught my eye. And I went and spoke to Evelyn, and I was like, Hey, what do you guys do? I'm interested in learning more. I think. Um, and I, I'm really glad that I did. I, I wasn't even going to stop by, but I'm like, no, I'll go. I'll walk around and, and stop by. So I, I'm glad that I did because now I can. I, I met you and your amazing story and what you're doing is amazing. And I hope that people from my community and, and, and the tech community can 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 hear this and, and see, you know, the work that you're doing and hopefully lend a hand. Um, I, I'm all about relationship building and I think this is a great way to get involved Um I'm grateful for your dedication, you know, in making into making a difference where it's definitely needed the most. So thank you for your time today. And thank you for everything that you do on a professional level as well. Well, thank you so much to see. I got to tell you, you're, you're a great interviewer and uh, <laughs> I, I love your voice. And as it relates to <laughs> Evelyn, um, she is the newest addition to our team and she is a superstar. She is Fantastic. amazing. She's getting us organized, making sure our data is straight. Um, she made sure that I was on point for this interview today. <laughs> <laughs> because with all of the things going on, you know, I, I don't get to spend as much time in the programs as I'd like to. I'm spending more time trying to raise money and get lines yeah. of credit. And, you know, all the stuff that comes with running a business that's not the fun stuff. I like being in the classroom. But yeah. um, she's she's been keeping me on point for sure. So thank That's you. That's great. That. Well, really yeah, tell her I say hello. Thank you for the work that you're doing because it's the type of information that needs to get out to our folks. Yeah, for sure. All right. You well, have a thank wonderful you. Holiday. You too. Have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe share, and leave a review on iTunes. Let's continue the conversation on social media. We are at Chicago Techies on all social media platforms. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.